Okay, the reading today is from Matthew 7, verses 15 to 23. A tree and its fruit. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. I never knew you. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's a pretty serious passage, isn't it? And we uh, do love that we always finish the reading of God's word with thanks be to God, uh, no matter what it says. Um, we're going to kind of touch on that today. So um, if you don't know me, my name's Jonathan. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, if you are uh, visiting or new, uh, really good to have you here. So um, if you haven't yet, open your Bibles to Matthew 7. Um, we are uh, nearly finished. Uh, so this is the penultimate uh, sermon on the Sermon uh, on the Mount. Um, Lucas is going to wrap it all up next week. Um, so uh, last week we looked at the golden rule, which is probably uh, one of the most famous, famous passages in the Bible, one of the, Jesus' most famous sayings. Uh, a lot of people in the world uh, know the golden rule, but may not even know that it's Jesus who said that. Um, so to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Um, really, Lucas kind of said, we're, we're talking about love here, is what Jesus is getting at. Um, a love for the other, a, a consideration for the other, um, so when, when Jesus, uh, when he was asked, uh, Jesus, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? He's asked that in Matthew 22. Um, he, he really says, you know, we can kind of sum up uh, the law, the, the prophets, the, all of the law by, by these two things. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your uh, heart, soul, mind. And he also says, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, these two things are are the most important things. They kind of wrap up, they summarize the, the whole of the law. So really this is, it, Jesus says that again here. It, it's the, he's saying the same thing. He, he's, he's really wrapping up his main section in the sermon uh, that we've been talking about, that we've been unpacking for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. So you should be almost sick of hearing this by now, but the bulk of the sermon uh, from Matthew 5 until now has been Jesus unpacking what this life of deeper, greater righteousness looks like. And this, the, he says, authentic disciples in this kingdom of heaven, they have a righteousness of 
the whole person, not just the external, not just the Pharisees who have this outward obedience. Um, they have a righteousness of the heart as well, this, inward, this inner uh, righteousness. And he wraps, wraps that up. He says, we can summarize it with that golden rule. Uh, whatever uh, you want, uh, however you want to be treated, do also to the other. Um, and then in, in verse 13, he really shifts from that main bulk of the sermon to he, he begins his conclusion. So Jesus, he's, he's starting to wrap up his sermon, uh, which is funny because we have, we, we wrap up the sermon as Jesus is wrapping up the sermon. These sermons on a sermon are, uh, it's a bit of like a sermon inception, but uh, yeah, he's, he's shifting from instructions on a life of greater righteousness to uh, his conclusion. All right, all right, all right, all right. I'm going to take this off because then I feel like I'm wearing this thing and it's uh, not doing anything, so... Um, so Jesus is he's switching from, thanks dude, uh, the, the main bulk of the, the sermon, the main thrust of the sermon, instructions on a life of greater righteousness, and he's, he's working his way into his conclusion. And what you see in the last 15 verses, from, from verse 13 to verse 27, is Jesus basically, he looks at his disciples and he says, it's time to make a decision. Um, it, it's, I've given you the instruction I, I've, 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 I've shown you what this life of greater righteousness looks like. Now it's time to ensure that you have a proper response to the teaching. And, and I found myself doing this uh, with, with my son. He's, he's seven, or well, he's nearly seven, so he's, he's still very much a, a boy, uh, very, very immature, but you kind of see glimpses of him kind of maturing. He's, these glimpses of him grasping the, what wisdom I have that I'm trying to impart unto him. Um, and there's these instances lately where I, I just, I've laid out the information before, them, before him and I say, it's time to make a decision. Um, I, I've given you the options. I've even given you instructions on what the wise choice is. It's time for you to choose now. And, and that's essentially what Jesus is, is doing. It's what he's saying. He, I've explained to you what this, what this life in the kingdom looks like. I've shown you what, the, what this life of deeper righteousness looks like. Now it's time for you to decide how you're going to respond. Um, he, he's, and he gives these, uh, these metaphors all throughout his conclusion, um, and, and the, these pictures that they really act as a warning, or they act as like an, an exhortation uh, for his disciples to respond correctly. And there's a few things that, that all of these images or metaphors have in common. Uh, firstly, all of them, they speak to the difference uh, between external appearances and the internal reality. Which again, it's, it's what Jesus has been talking about the whole time. This, um, he's calling us to have a righteousness not just of the outside, but of the inside as well. So external appearances versus the in, internal reality. Uh, secondly, they all have this theme of two choices, uh, of two ways. So again, Jesus' hearers, his audience, they, they have to be careful in their listening. Uh, they have to ensure that, um, that they, they, they have to consider their response to his teaching as well. Um, which would have been very, um, fam- they would have been very familiar with this, his, his Jewish audience. So they probably would have thought of uh, Deuteronomy 30, uh, 15 to 20. I'm just going to read you that. Um, um, God's people are, are given these options in, all the way back in Deuteronomy 30. Um, it says, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. These two options, life and good or death and evil. Um, it says, if you obey my commandments, uh, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, 
Then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of. So that's, that's one choice. And the other choice is in verse 17, but if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you will surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over to the Jordan to enter and possess. It's the other option. And uh, verse 19, uh, he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him. So he is, uh, for he is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give to them. He's, he's calling them, here's your decision, here's your choices, choose correctly. And maybe they would have thought of Psalm 1. Uh, so the very first psalm in, in, the, in that songbook uh, is a song that, that talks about uh, the way of the righteous versus the way of the wicked, these two ways. So verse 1, Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. It sounds like a beatitude, doesn't it? And blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but rather he delights in the law of the Lord. He meditates on the law of the Lord. So in, in, the, in the righteous one, obedience is his goal. Seeking after righteousness is his goal. Again, sounds like the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't it? And so each of these metaphors in his conclusion they, it has this theme of two choices, two ways. Uh, the third thing they all have in common is they have a theme of, of doing the will of God as essential to entering the kingdom. And, and verse 21 in chapter 7, he says it explicitly. He says, it's those who do the will of my Father in heaven that enter the kingdom. He's, it sounds, he's, he's repeating again what he said all the way back in chapter 5, verse 20, where he lays out this life of deeper righteousness, okay? He, where, where he says that a true disciple, they're not those who merely look like they obey. They're not those with an external obedience, but rather those who actually do have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And later on in Matthew chapter, 20, uh, chapter 12, verse 50, Jesus says, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that's who my family is. That's my brother and my sister. It's those who do the will of the Father. And uh, keep reading in, in, uh, in James chapter 2, he, this is what he means by faith without works is dead. So are we saved by grace through faith? Absolutely. But, but James says the proof that your faith is real is in your, your, your life. It's in, it's in what you do. He says even the demons believe. Even they have correct belief. It, it's, it's, it's the proof. It's doing the will of the Father uh, that is proof of this deeper righteousness. So, so in the sermon righteousness and entering the kingdom, they're not defined in terms of, of a cognitive belief set, per se. Although that's important, they're, they're defined in, 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 in your fruit. They're, they're defined in, in a way, as a way of being in the world, as a way of activity, as, as producing, as bearing fruit. Does that make sense? Um, he, he's laying these choices out all throughout his conclusion. And if we're honest, if you're listening to what Joy read, um, it's quite terrifying. It, it's, it's stark. It's staggering. It's serious. 
In verses 13 to 27, in its conclusion, the reader is warned, you will be destroyed if you don't listen to these words and act upon them. And if you've ever said, oh, I love the Sermon on the Mount. Like, it's so encouraging. It's such a, a great picture of, of human flourishing. It's so happy. I, I'd say, have you read it all? Have you, have, did you make it to the end? Because the end is staggering. Listen closely to what Jesus is saying here in the end, church. You will be destroyed if you don't listen to these words and act upon them. I wonder if you believe that. Um, each of these verses uh, is talking about our choices and our subsequent judgment because of those choices. Um, and and we, we were introduced to these choices last week in verses 13 and 14. Lucas explained this. Uh, Jesus, he, he says there, there's two gates there's two choices here. There's, there's, there's two gates. One is wide and one is narrow. And these gates, they give us access to two roads. One is an easy road and one is a hard road. And on these roads are two different crowds. One is a large crowd, one is a small crowd. And these roads lead to two destinations, destruction or, or life. And what, he's, what Jesus is doing is he's contrasting two ways of being in the world. Where, where one way of being in the world appears to be the right way, appears uh, to be the, the good way because of its ease and be, because of its breadth. The, the word is literally spacious. But, but Jesus says this, this one that appears to be the easy way, the right way, it actually leads to destruction. And, and there's this other way, and it's difficult. And, and, and like, look at it. It's, it's a narrow gate. It's hard. The word hard here, it's, it's, it's normally translated as persecution. Like, look down this road. Who would, who would choose this road? On this road is persecution. Who's going to choose that? But Jesus, Jesus tells us who chooses that in the beginning, in the Beatitudes. He says, the blessed are the ones that choose this. The blessed are the ones who are persecuted. This way is narrow. It's hard. But Jesus tells you it's the good path. It's good for you because the end of this path, there's life. Destruction or life, choose your path. And I want you to also see that all throughout the sermon, and especially here at the end, and there's, there's this eschatological urgency. And I know that's a big theological word. Eschatology is it's, it's merely a theology that's concerned with, with the end. Concerned with, with, with your, your ultimate end, with, with death, with judgment, with, with the final destination of the human soul. So there's this, there's this eschatological urgency. Like Jesus is saying, listen up, because this concerns your, your destination. It concerns your, your end destination. We're talking about life. We're talking about eternal life in the kingdom or destruction. And... Just a heads up, a lot of people don't like talking about that. They don't, they don't like talking about the end because the end, there's, there's finality. We're talking about eternal life in heaven with, where Jesus reigns as king or eternal separation from that, destruction. We're talking about heaven. We're talking about hell. Um, are you telling me I'm on the road to hell? People, I, don't judge me. Um, d d don't, how, how dare you judge me? How dare you tell me my life is, is heading toward destruction? Um, you see, um, Jesus as judge, it, it's either a, a terrifying thing 
uh, maybe an offensive thing, or it's something that's incredibly hopeful. And, and, and we see here that it's, that it's only for the Christian that there is hope in the end uh, with, with Jesus as judge. Really, Jesus is judge in the end. For me, it's the only thing that, that makes sense. It's the only thing that, that, that gives hope. And in, 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 I was thinking this week of, uh, of Madeline McCann. Like that, there's n- the only thing that gives hope in that situation. Everyone wants ju- justice. Everyone feels the hopelessness of that. But Jesus is judge in the end is the only thing that gives hope in that situation. There's two paths. They, they, they have two opposite destinations, life, destruction, but it's really important to, to see that, that Jesus is at the end of both of those paths, and he stands as judge. And, and you see what he says to those at the end of the easy path in verse 23. He says, I never knew you. Depart from me. And you also see what he says to those who are on the narrow path. In Matthew 25, 21, uh, we're told, you'll hear, well done, my, my good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master. All throughout the conclusion, he's giving us this choice, these warnings, these exhortations to respond correctly. It's stark, it's staggering, but he does it because he loves you. He does it because he wants you in the kingdom. He's graciously inviting us to, to enter the narrow gate, to choose the right path. It's hard, but its destination is, is what's good for you. This is the most important choice you'll, you'll make. Choose the narrow gate. And Lucas pointed out last week that, that Jesus says in John 10, 9, he says, I am the gate. I, 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 anyone that enters by me he will be saved. So, so Jesus is the gate. The gate's narrow, but it leads to life, and Jesus is the only way in. Uh, Tim Keller says, the gospel is an exclusive truth, but it's the most inclusive, exclusive truth in the world. So, so the kingdom is exclusive. There's, there's one way in. There's one gate. There's only one path that leads to it, but at the same time, anyone can enter. And Jesus says, I'm the gate. Trust me. Uh, turn from your, evil, from your evil ways. Turn away from the broad path and choose me. Enter in, he says. Uh, but look at, at today's text. Immediately what he says uh, after that is in verse 15. He says, watch out for the wolves. And, and I want you to notice what he doesn't say. This is important. He doesn't say, watch out for false prophets. They come in in sheep's clothing, but they're actually ravenous wolves. But don't worry because they won't be in your church. Like, they won't be in village. Village is a good church. Don't, you don't need to be aware of that. No, no, he says they might be. So beware. Be on guard. Watch out. Uh, why are we to beware? Uh, because although they look harmless, they're ravenous. Um, if, if you're like me, uh, I'm a city guy, didn't grow up on a farm, don't really understand the, um, the seriousness of this, the, the, maybe the, the violence of this, but if... If a wolf gets in with the sheep, they will literally rip them apart, limb from limb, especially the little lambs. That's why farmers shoot dogs and wolves. And, and, and here's the issue that Jesus is saying. You don't go near a ferocious wolf if you're a sheep. They, they'll kill you. They, they'll, they'll, let you they'll, they'll rip you apart. And therefore, you must see them coming. And this passage is about that, seeing the wolves coming, maybe even in village. 
Beware false prophets, the false teachers. A couple things I want to note on, on verse 15. Again, his, his, ori- his original audience would have been uh, familiar with a warning like this. So the, the Bible is filled with warnings against false prophets. Uh, they're, they're very common. Uh, Ezekiel 13 says, Woe to the foolish prophet, uh, woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Your prophets have been like jackals among ruins, O Israel, saying the same thing as Jesus is saying here. Uh, Matthew uses this, this word beware six times in his gospel, and every time they're about spiritual leaders. In Acts 20, Paul warns the Ephesian elders. He, he says, watch out for the flock that, that you've been uh, placed to, to, to oversee. In verse 29, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. It's these common warnings in here. Jesus obviously, he regards the, the Pharisees and the scribes in the same light. Blind leaders leading the blind, he calls them. Later in Matthew 24, Jesus is speaking towards the end, and he says, towards the end, the gospel is going to spread worldwide, but he says, also, many false prophets will, will arise and lead my people astray. He's saying, beware of false prophets, because they lead you to the wrong gate, to the wrong path, the way of destruction. They lead you astray. The Bible's filled with these warnings of, of false prophets. Uh, and secondly, um, simple logic of Jesus' warning here tells us that, that his warning against false prophets, it's based on the assumption that there are, that there are false prophets among you. And so um, I'm sure you're aware of, you've heard of some of the really stupid product label warnings that are out there. Um, so your iron might, might come with a wee label that says, do not iron while wearing shirt. What's that about? Um, warning contains nuts on a packet of peanuts. Wearing this garment does not enable you to fly on a Superman costume. Do not use for drying pets on a microwave. <laughs> like these are real warnings, <laughs> obviously for a very specific kind of person. <laughs> like if you need me to tell you that there's nuts in your bag of nuts, you have a lot of problems in your life. But Jesus, he, he isn't making these idle warnings. He, he, he speaks because it's relevant. He speaks because there's real danger. Uh, Jesus is saying here that when you, when you look at your religious leaders, you, you're going to find two different types of leaders. There will be false teachers, false, false uh, prophets, false shepherds, and then there will be uh, true faithful teachers, faithful prophets. The Greek is literally pseudo-prophetion, pseudo-prophet. Prophet is someone who, who speaks the word of the Lord. Pseudo, as you know, means falsehood. It means lie. It's a sham. It's not the real thing. So a pseudo-prophet is someone pretending to speak the word of the Lord, but in fact, they're a phony. They're an imposter. They're a wolf in sheep's clothing. And Jesus says, beware of these teachers because they're real, because they're present among you, maybe even in village church, and and they're dangerous. They'll lead you down the wrong uh, path to the way of destruction. Jesus says, they'll lead many people astray. 
So, so if you're a Christian, really the question you, you must ask yourself of any Christian leader you meet is, is this person a false prophet? Is this, is this person faithful, a real teacher, or are they a false teacher? I wonder if you've ever asked yourself of, of your leaders in village that question. Jesus, Jesus says you should. His warning is based on the assumption that, that false prophets are real and present in your midst. And another assumption that Jesus is making in this warning is the assumption that there is such a thing as truth. And that truth is, is, is the truth of the Bible that God has revealed by divine inspiration. So there's this objective standard that, by which false prophets can, can be distinguished. And so, so that's why we treasure God's word here at Village. That's why it's important for you to, to know your Bible. And hey, what this person is saying, it doesn't sound like what I read in the Bible. These false prophets, they, as they deviate from Scripture, we, we can see that they're false prophets. And so a, a true teacher is someone who, who teaches the truth of God, of God's word. A false teacher who's someone who, who claims divine inspiration but, but propagates falsehood instead. I think the logic of Jesus in verse 15 is, is quite clear. He's saying, number one, that there is such a thing as truth. He's not going to warn you against someone who, who's telling lies when there's nothing to lie about. So there's such a thing that's, as truth. Secondly, what contradicts truth is a lie. Thirdly, that those who propagate lies in God's name are false prophets. And fourthly, that there are such people in the church. That's what Jesus is warning against here. Beware of false prophets. They'll come to you looking like a sheep, but they're actually ravenous wolves. Let's, let's take what Jesus says seriously. Uh, turn in your Bibles to, to Jeremiah 23. It's one of the big ones uh, towards the end of uh, the Old Testament, so you should be able to find it. I found Jeremiah 23 really helpful, both in backing up what Jesus is saying here, but also in, in helping to discern what a false prophet looks like versus what a true false pro- prophet looks like. So Jeremiah 23, start in verse 16. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts. This is what God is saying to, to his people. He says, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually uh, to those, they say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. So, so those verses, they show us what a, what a false prophet does. And look at verse 18. They're, they're, uh, they're contrasted with what a faithful prophet here does. Verse 18, for who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and hear his word? Who has paid attention to his word and listened? Go to verse 21. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I, I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. Verse 28 really wraps it up. It says, let a prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. So what you have here is this real contrast between a false prophet and a true prophet. 
So a, pro, a, a false prophet on one hand, this person's a, a bit of a dreamer, they're speaking their own speculation out of their own minds and hearts. On the other hand, you have the true prophet, and we're told that this is someone who has stood in the counsel of the Lord who, to see and to hear his word, that they've paid attention to his word and they've listened, it says. They, they've, they've, they've prayed over this. They, they ask God to show them his truth. They, they, they look for and they unpack God's truth found in his word rather than their own ideas kind of propped up by the Bible. So when you're trying to discern if someone is a false prophet or not, ask yourselves these questions. Has this person stood in the counsel of the Lord? Are, are they reading the Bible and explaining the Bible, or are they using it as, as a bit of a springboard to jump off into their own speculations? And another thing that you see a false prophet doing uh, in, in verse 16 again, says they will fill you with false hope. Verse 17, they say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. And John Stop, he points out that another key thing to look for in a false teacher is an amoral optimism. That, that it's their denial that, that God is the God of judgment as well as the God of steadfast love and mercy. There, there's a subtlety here. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Lloyd-Jones, he speaks on the subtlety of discerning a false prophet. He says that, that their falseness is, is detected not necessarily by but what they do say, but by what they don't say. It's not by necessarily what, they, what they're saying, but maybe by what they're leaving out. They, they will preach the truth. They'll preach that, that God is, is a God of steadfast love and mercy, and, and we preach that. Like, yes and amen to all of that. But do they preach God as judge as well? They'll preach the truth, but are they only preaching some of the truth? Or are they presenting the whole story? Uh, Jeremiah 8:11 says, "They've healed the wounds of my people lightly, saying, "Peace, peace, where there is no peace." They look like a sheep. They look loving. They're, there's preaching love, peace to you but it's not loving if there's no peace with you. They heal the wounds of my people lightly, saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. False prophets, they, they, they fill people with a false sense of hope. They, they give people a, a false sense of security. But Jeremiah 23, 22 says, if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words. They would have proclaimed my truth to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil in, in their deeds. They would have warned them that you're on the path to destruction. So returning to Matthew 7, I, I don't think that it's a coincidence that Jesus' warnings of false prophets, it immediately follows his teaching about the narrow gate. There's two gates, there's two ways, two destinations. Um, I'm going to read you this John Stock quote just on the screen. He says, for false prophets are adept at blurring the issue of salvation, some so muddle or distort the gospel that they make it hard for seekers to find the narrow gate. Others try to make out that the narrow gate is in reality much broader than Jesus implied, and that to walk it requires little, if any, restriction on one's belief and behavior. Others, perhaps, the most pernicious of all, dare to contradict Jesus and to assert that the broad road does not lead to destruction, but that as a matter of fact, all roads lead to God. And that even the broad and the narrow road 
although they lead off in opposite directions, ultimately both end in life. It's no wonder Jesus likened false teachers to ravenous wolves. Not so much because they're greedy for gain or prestige or power, although they often are, but that they are ferocious. That is, they are extremely dangerous. And he gives us this great irony that they are responsible for leading some people to the very destruction which they say does not exist. So the question you should be asking yourself is, is this person warning people of the broad path? Are they warning people of the path that leads to destruction? Is, are, they, are they saying what Jesus said in John 14, 6? Are they preaching that Jesus is the only way to, to, to the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says, I'm the only way to the Father. No one comes to him but through me, the gate. Are, are they preaching that, that only Jesus' sacrifice on the cross can pay for the penalty of sin? Do they preach that, that, that sins have a penalty that needs to be paid? Is the preacher warning that, that if you go the road, uh, the, the easy path, the broad way, that you will perish? That way leads to destruction. Do they ever preach on the wrath of God? And it goes the other way too, doesn't it? Do they only preach the wrath of God? Do they ever preach grace, forgiveness, inclusion into the kingdom? Beware of false prophets. The questions you should be asking yourself are, are they preaching the truth of the Bible? Are they, are they standing in the counsel of the Lord? Are they preaching the Bible, or are they using it as a springboard to jump off into their own speculations? Not only do they preach the truth, but do they preach the whole truth? And this is, I'll just say that this is why the vast majority of the time here at Village, uh, it's just us making our way through books of the Bible. And um, week in, week out, verse by verse, and we, we don't do a lot of topical series. N- not saying never do a topical series, but we, we think the, the, the most faithful way to preach, the, the way to ensure that, that we're being true prophets and not false prophets is we basically choose a book or we choose a section of the Bible and we teach our way through it. And um, so we've gone through the, the entire book of Acts, the entire book of Ecclesiastes, and the, the Psalms of Ascent, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And the reason we do this is because it, it forces you to teach the whole of Scripture. We don't get to just cherry pick the verses that, uh, that, that, uh, that fit our agenda, that fit our message. Hey, we'll just preach the bits that we agree with. Or more accurately, we'll just preach the bits that agree with us. And we want to submit to the authority of God's Word. Uh, we, we, we'll preach the difficult passages We want the whole of scripture. We want the whole of truth. And and let me tell you, when you do this, what you find the Bible saying is that sin is the issue. It leads to destruction and rescue is needed. All throughout the Bible, that's the the message that, that you get as you read it. Sin is the issue. It leads to destruction and rescue is needed. I forget who says it, but they said, the gospel is not, oh Lord, my life is empty, fill it. It's, oh Lord, I'm an offense, rescue me. You see the subtlety again of, 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 this, of the wolf in sheep's clothing. That first statement's true. Like when, when Jesus enters your life, when you give your life to him, he will fill you. But it's not the primary message of the gospel. Oh Lord, my life is empty, fill me. It's, oh Lord, I'm an offense, rescue me. 
Is, is the message of, of your preacher um, primarily that you're a victim in this world or primarily that you're a rebel in this world? Again, the subtlety, both of those things can be true. We live in a sinful world. We live in a dark place. A lot of you have, have been victims of terrible things. But is the main thrust of the message being preached to you that you're a victim or that you're primarily a rebel against God and that needs rescued? I'll tell you, the offense that you've shown to God is far more than any offense anyone's ever shown to you. Sin is the issue. It leads to destruction and and rescue is needed and offered. This is the message that you find in the Bible and that we'll preach. Beware false prophets, they're ravenous wolves. They lead you not to the narrow gate, but, to, but rather to the, the path of destruction. And, and notice they're not only are they dangerous, they're also deceptive, as we've said. They're, they're not always easy uh, to recognize. They're, they're wolves, but they come to you in sheep's clothing. Uh, they, they sneak into the flock disguised as, as sheep. So they don't come in and say, hello, I'm a purveyor of lies. No, they're, they're, they're claiming to be a, 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 a teacher of truth. On the surface, they, they look like the real deal. So beware, Jesus warns. Like, we must be on guard. We must pray for discernment. We must use our critical faculties. We must be vigilant. Don't be dazzled by a person's outward, experience, uh, outward appearance, their charm, their honors, their degrees. No, we, we have to look beneath uh, to, to the reality. What, what lives under the fleece? Is it a sheep or a wolf? We must learn to, to recognize the wolves. And we do this not only as I just tried to explain by, by listening to their message, by what they preach, but Jesus shows us the other way to recognize them in verse 16. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from the thorn bush or, or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. And he says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. And J.C. Ryle wrote on, he wrote on this text, he sums up, he says, sound doctrine and holy living are the marks of a true prophet. You need both of those things. So, so, so don't just look at how someone opens their Bible. You're also looking for an open life. Uh, look at how they live their lives. Look at the fruit that they're producing. Are they bearing good fruit in their life that shows that they're a healthy tree and not a diseased one? And what's, what's this fruit? Uh, Galatians 5, Paul tells us, he gives us the fruit of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? It's, it's the, the fruit that you're producing. The, it's the evidence in your life that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. So this teacher, it's his character and, and his conduct. Is it marked by joy? Is it marked by love? By peace? Are they patient? Are they kind? Is there goodness? Faithfulness? Are they gentle? Do they have self-control? I'm not saying are they perfect. I'm saying is there fruit in their lives of this? 
You should be asking yourself, not only did they preach the truth of God's word, but has the truth of God's word been planted in their lives and it's resulting in, in good fruit? Uh, Beth Moore tweeted this the other day. I loved it. She said, beware of Bible beaters void of the Holy Spirit. She says, where the Holy Spirit goes, the Holy Spirit shows. That'll preach, isn't it? If the fruit of the Spirit isn't evidenced, they can hang Bible verses on their limbs all day long, but something's wrong with that tree. Jesus says, know a tree by its fruit. Is there good fruit in their lives? Read the Beatitudes again. Does this describe them? Use, use, the, use the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 2 to 11 as a measuring stick for your leaders. Beware of leaders who are not poor in spirit. Beware of leaders who don't mourn their own sin. Beware of leaders who are not meek. Beware of leaders who don't seem to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Beware of leaders who aren't merciful. Beware of leaders who aren't pure in heart. Hey, beware of leaders who aren't peacemakers. Is there always quarreling around them? This one's tricky. Beware of leaders who the world always likes. Like leaders who are never reviled, leaders who are never persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus says in John 15 that because you're my disciple, because you're not of this world, the world's gonna hate you sometimes. So beware of leaders that that never happens to them. Is there good fruit in their lives? Are they living this life of of greater righteousness that Jesus has been describing in the sermon? Or are they like the scribes and the Pharisees, the, the the false prophets that Jesus is continually calling out? Turn back a couple pages to Matthew chapter three. In Matthew chapter three, John the Baptist, who who comes and he preaches, preparing the way for Jesus, he calls out the the scribes and the Pharisees as well, and he exhorts them to bear fruit, just like Jesus did. This section is very similar to what Jesus is saying, and I think John the Baptist makes it very clear what kind of fruit we are looking for. Matthew 3, verse 7. But when he, John the Baptist, saw many of the, of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Verse 8. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourself, but we have Abraham as our father, For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And he gets serious in verse 10, just like Jesus gets serious. He says, even now, the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, who does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. He's talking about Jesus, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. He's saying the same thing as Jesus here, and it's a staggering picture. As, he's, as he's, he's, he's preparing the way for Jesus' coming, he says the ax is at the root of the tree, and if it refuses to bear good fruit, it's cut down and thrown into the fire. It's discarded. 
There's only one thing that bad trees are good for, and that's for firewood. This is what he's saying as he's preparing people for Jesus coming. And John says that the fruit that we're looking for is repentance. It's this turning away from your sin, from the broad path. So when Jesus comes, he must see lives that, that, that seek to turn from their own sin, that are crying out to God for mercy. Lives that are seeking righteousness, the sermon tells us. Lives that are, lives that are staying on the narrow path. Lives that mourn their own sin. Lives that, that never stop fighting sin. Who, who, who are lives that are, that are dying to self, Paul, Paul says. John the Baptist warns, an ax will be laid to anyone who doesn't produce fruit in keeping with repentance. This calls for real self-examination, doesn't it? We, we, we constantly should, should see our sin and flee to the cross for forgiveness, repenting daily, putting the death of our sinful nature. Like, can you have peace and confidence in what Jesus has accomplished for you on the cross? Absolutely. Like, rest in that, brothers and sisters. Have, have assurance in that. But Jesus is saying, don't get comfortable in your sin. Do you have an area of sin in your life that you've get, just, get, I've given up on trying to get rid of it? Jesus is saying, that's a dangerous place to be. To put to death your sinful nature daily. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Romans 6.11. Run to Jesus. Because verses 21 to 23 show us that many will be shocked on the day of judgment when they stand before Jesus. Verse 21, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Who does? He says, it's, it's but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. It's the one who bears fruit. It's the one uh, that, that does the will of my Father. Verse 22 says, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, look at, look at all the things we've done. These spectacular things, prophecy, mighty works, casting out demons. What about the sermons we preached? What about the commentaries we've, we've written? The MC nights we've led and been a part of? And Jesus says he's going to look at some of them in verse 23 and say, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. D.A. Carson writes, what then is the essential characteristic of the true believer? The essential characteristic of the genuine disciple of Jesus? It's not, loud, it's not a loud profession. It's not spectacular spiritual triumphs. It's not these great spiritual experiences. Not that any of those things are bad. Not that we don't ask for those things. We want those things. But he says the chief characteristic of the true disciple is obedience. You did all of these things, but I never knew you. What does he mean by that? I never knew you. Isn't Jesus God? Doesn't he know everything? Think of Psalm 139. I knit you together in your mother's womb. It's, it's saying something weightier. This, this, this language of being known by God is weighty. The, the, the language of, of knowing someone in the Bible, it, it communicates 
having relationship. It communicates intimacy, often sexually. This intimacy in the relationship. The book of Amos, it uses this word. It serves as a way to, to act as a, a, a way to speak of God's special relationship with his people. I know you. And, and I think there's this beautiful connection uh, between both of these passages, between the essential component of, of bearing fruit, of doing the will of the Father, and also, uh, verse 23, of Jesus being able to say, I know you. We have a relationship. You're, yeah, you're my brother. There's, there's this beautiful thing that, 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 that connects these things. And my mind uh, immediately goes to John chapter 15. Turn over to John 15. I love this verse because in John chapter 15, Jesus tells us exactly what it looks like to have a relationship with him. He shows us exactly what it looks like to ensure that on the day of judgment, Jesus will be able to look at you and say, yeah, I know you. And he shows us exactly what it looks like to be able to, to have a life that bears fruit. All these things that Jesus is talking about in the end, in these staggering ways, John 15 shows us how to do it. Verse one, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because the word I've spoken to you. Verse four, Abide in me, and I in you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it's connected, unless it abides to the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me, Jesus says. I am the vine, you are the branches. Again, this, this theme of remember your position, church. Jesus is the vine. He's the one with the nutrients. He's the one with the power you're a branch. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered up, thrown into the fire, and burned. This is exactly what he says, exactly what John the Baptist says. Verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Sermon on the Mount, John said, or Matthew seven, ask and it will be given to you. Verse eight, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so proved be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, stop there, that's incredible. You, you, the love that God has had, the love that the Father has had for the Son is eternal. It is this glory of this love is, is, is we can't even comprehend. And Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you that, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. 
This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Verse 14 is amazing. You are my friends. I know you. You're my friends, Jesus says. You're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servant, for the servant does not know what the, what the, what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. We have relationship. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Isn't that a credible church? Jesus chose you. But I chose you, and I appointed, and appointed that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask, in my fa- ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you will love one another. Isn't this amazing? Isn't this incredible? He shows us exactly how to do it. So if you're sitting there shaking, does this apply to me, the end of these staggering things? Jesus says, relax, go to John 15. Read how to do it. You wanna bear fruit? Abide in Jesus, be with him, remain in him. Do you want a relationship with Jesus? Remain in him, abide in him, he will abide in you. How are you doing that in your life, church? What are you giving up in order to be able to abide in him? Remember, we learned in in chapter five, the purpose of you being distinct in this world is is, is so that you will glorify your Father in heaven. And Jesus tells you how to do it. In verse eight, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. How do you bear fruit? Abide in Jesus. Be attached to the vine. Apart from him, you can't do it. It's impossible. Are you not abiding in Jesus? No wonder you're not bearing fruit. So remain in his love. Be with him. Run to him. Spend time with him. Cut things out of your life just to be with him. Drink more caffeine so you can be up early in the morning just to be with him. Devour his word. Spend time in prayer. You see how important it is? It's eternally important. Abide in me, my words will abide in you. I've chosen you. I've appointed that you'll bear fruit. I'll do it. I'm the one that'll do it. All you have to do is be with me. This is what this relationship looks like. I'm just gonna end by reading uh, one last Carson quote. He says, it is true, of course, that no man enters the kingdom because of his obedience. It's important to understand that. That's legalism. It's true, of course, that no man enters the kingdom because of his obedience, but it is equally true that no man enters the kingdom who is not obedient. Jesus says, if you love me, you're gonna keep my commands. You're gonna be obedient. You're gonna bear fruit. You see how these things overlap? Relationship, love, intimacy, and obedience, and bearing fruit, they're all the same thing. He goes on, it's true that men are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. Can I get an amen at that? We're saved by grace. It's nothing that you've done. It's only because God chose you. He's given you this gift of faith. But it's equally true that God's grace in someone's life inevitably results in obedience. It results in you bearing fruit. It's proof that that faith is real. He continues, any other view of grace cheapens grace. 
and it turns into something unrecognizable. Cheap grace preaches forgiveness without repentance. It preaches church membership without rigorous church discipline. Discipleship without obedience. It preaches blessing without persecution. It preaches joy without righteousness, results without obedience. Church, watch out for those who preach cheap grace. Watch out for the wolves, the false teachers. They're real, they're present, and we do that because Jesus' truth matters. All of it matters. Seek it. Seek the kingdom. Seek this righteousness. Desire good fruit in your life. Seek repentance. And we do all that simply by abiding with Jesus. That's all. Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for for giving us a a way to, to know you a way to, 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 to know who Jesus is, a way to, to know exactly what he's done for us. You've given us a way to know exactly our position in this, in this universe. I just confess, Lord, I was nervous to preach these hard passages. But we thank you for them. We thank you for for your word that gives us the things that we need to hear. How loving is that, Lord? That you tell us that there's a problem. You tell us, I'm gonna fix that problem. All we have to do is is turn to Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, that we, we cheapen your grace so often. Lord, help us to grasp um, the gospel. Help us to grasp exactly what you've done for us. Lord, let that fill our hearts. You're so good to us. We love you so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.